Welcome to Good Faith Reads. I'm your host, Cliff Vaughn, media producer at Good Faith Media. Good Faith Reads is a short podcast released twice a month in which we focus on one of our book authors at Good Faith Media. We've published more than 100 titles under our Nurturing Faith book imprint, and we invite you to check them out at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Today's guest is Wallace Horton, author of Windows on Worship, 52 Devotional Readings for Those Who Lead, Plan, and Engage in Worshiping God. He's joining us remotely today. Wally, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Cliff. It's good to be with you. You've logged half a century in the ministry of worship, and you're a lifelong Lutheran, so of course I'm going to trust what you say here. What is worship? I suppose this is a bit of a trick question because one of your essays is about the caution required when defining worship, but you are an expert, so what say you? What is worship? Well, I remember uh, years ago when I was a student at uh, Biola University in Talbot Seminary, and professor at, at the time was Dr. William Locke, and ironically, he's the gentleman I dedicated this book to. The first things he had us do in the worship class was for each of us to write down a personal definition of worship. And I wrote it down on a piece of uh, eight and a half by 11 lined paper, took all of two lines where I wrote down, uh, Christian worship is our response to what God has done for us, Christ. And it's always our response to what God is doing. Christian worship is always initiated by God. He gives us a purpose to worship. Now, we, can, we all worship something. I love Harold Best's comment from his book, Unceasing, Unceasing Worship, where he says, nobody does not worship. Harold Best was the chairman of the music department at Wheaton College in, in Illinois for many years. So everybody worships something, but we're talking about Christian worship, which is, which is unique to any other type of worship. And in our worship, we are responding to what God has done for us. Didn't have to do it, but he did anyway, what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. Well, I'm a media producer and not an ordained minister, so I read with interest some of the quote-unquote issues you pinpointed when it comes to worship. Of course, screens in the sanctuary, uh, one of them on page 33, taking a chance on an approach to worship that differs from your norm on page 22. I particularly liked some of your more philosophical points that you make in the book. For example, on page 19, you talk about worship as remembering. And I wonder if you could talk to our listeners a bit more about what you mean by worship is remembering. That, that's a really great question, Cliff. The idea of remembering is when we come to worship, we step into God's narrative. We step into God's story. It's not a story that we're creating. It's not something that we initiate. Again, it's coming back to the idea that God is initiated. We step into his story. And so the, the whole idea, of, we get the word amnesia from am, amnesis, which is recalling, remembering. We recall the story. We recall how the children of Israel came through the, the, the waters of the Red Sea and, and, the, and the covenant that God created with his people and how that was all fulfilled in the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus and how we continue to live in that hope. So we're stepping into it. And, and uh, one of my other mentors, Dr. Robert Weber, who went to, uh, where I did my graduate studies, all used to talk about uh, the, the, the pathway to the future is through the past. And so when, even as we are in the 21st century, 
we go back and recall what God has done for us. And so this idea of remembering it, and we come, we come, we come as God's people. And whether you're a, a Bible church person or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or Episcopalian or Roman Catholic or Baptist, whatever, you know, we are remembering. We we come together as God's people, and we call that we call that the gathering time. We hear His word in one form or another, and we we express our thanks and we receive the thanks that God gives to us. We call that the Thanksgiving, and that takes on a whole different variety of shapes. It can be in the prayers, it can be in Eucharist, it can be in in the ordinances, and then we we are we're we're sent out into the world. We're scattered into the world to be God's people. We call it fourfold worship gathering word thanksgiving sending out and and so that all of that is a remembrance it's all it's almost if you will a, a retelling of what god's people have been telling for thousands of years and of course over the course of time the way you express it that that takes on different forms and different expressions but the story the form uh, the purpose really never changes you just mentioned Robert Weber, and I want to note for our listeners that Windows on Worship is published by agreement with Weber Institute Books, which is the publishing arm of the Robert E. Weber Institute for Worship Studies, and you can learn more about the Institute at iws.edu. We'll be right back with more Good Faith Reads. Hi, I'm Tyler Tankersley, Senior Pastor of Ardmore Baptist Church, and we invite you to join us for our newest podcast called Speaking in Parables, where we explore the stories that Jesus told and how to apply them to our lives today. You can find more information at ardmorebaptist.org slash speakinginparables. Welcome back to Good Faith Reads. Today we're joined remotely by Wallace Horton, author of the Good Faith Media book, Windows on Worship, 52 devotional readings for those who lead, plan, and engage in worshiping God. I'm Cliff Vaughn of Good Faith Media. Wally, I'm curious, is it hard to write about worship? I was thinking about the quote that gets attributed to all kinds of people. Writing about music is like dancing about architecture. So this is really a question about process. How did you go about writing this book and putting a lifetime of experience into its pages? Well, your 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 term there, lifetime of experience, is really summarizes uh, what the book is about. I mean, I, I've been involved in worship leadership and planning for a lot of years, but it was it was probably around the, the mid '90s that um, I, I started doing some monthly or bi-monthly articles for. Uh, for an organization I belong to that's no longer in existence. But, uh, it, and, and ironically, the column was called Window on Worship. And so I, I, I would address, and it was written uh, primarily for other music ministers and some worship leaders, perhaps some ordained clergy as well, about different issues in the church, you know, different issues in worship, how you do this, how you approach uh, uh choirs singing in a service or how do you involve children in worship and over the years I, I just I kept hard copies of all those articles and um, when I retired quote unquote I never really retired from ministry but when I required in 2000 retired in 2015 I uh, I thought well what can I do with these articles that I these written in? and some of these articles were also written for the the churches in which I was serving there'd be a monthly uh, article for a congregation to 
read about something that was going on in the worship life of the church. And um, I just got to thinking of that. Well, you know, I'd like to kind of maybe put these together in some sort of format and, and have a little bit of recorded history of some of the things that I wrote about. So I, I actually went back and I had over, over 150 of these articles that I had written and was able to, to kind of group them into five areas, uh, uh, personal devotion and prayer, um, worship theology and practice, on how to prepare for worship, uh, the church year in worship, and then worship that transforms lives. And anything that didn't fit into that, one of those five categories, I just kind of laid aside about, well, maybe for another time at some other place. Uh, and so I, I went through and then eliminated it. And I thought, uh, talked to some folks at, uh, at IWS and they thought, well, you know, 75 of these might be a bit too much. I got to thinking about, what about one a week? And the idea of 52, came out to be a, a, a somewhat of a, a good idea. So we, I went through and, and uh, got five sections with 10 or 11, 12 uh, essays in each section. And so, and then I had to go back, of course, and some of the things that I might've written 25 years ago needed to be made somewhat more relative or brought up to date or uh, maybe reevaluated in terms of some of the things that were said in there. But that's how it came together. So it's not like I sat down and wrote 52 of these in, in a six-month period. It's really, a, it's really a, a process of what's happened over the last 25 years. Follow-up question on that. Was there a particular issue or angle that as you went back and looked at something you had written 15, 10, 20 years earlier, and then you revisited it for this book, was there anything that... that you, you struggled more with regarding maybe a change in your thinking or in worship in general? Well, it's safe to say I'm not the same person today that I was 25 years ago. But I think in terms of core values and understanding, um, uh, things were pretty much consistent. I mean, one, one of the things that's near and dear to my heart, of course, is having been uh, a Lutheran all of my life, I went to Lutheran school, Lutheran day school. So children always went to church uh, with their parents and sat with their parents. There wasn't a separate program on Sunday mornings for, for, uh, uh, for the children. And uh, one of the congregations that I served in, that wasn't the case. That was, and it was a non-Lutheran congregation where there would be a separate program for children. And I, I addressed it in one of my articles about how do you teach children to worship? And so as I was, went back and looked at that article, I was as, as convinced as I've ever been that it, children benefit by being with their parents in worship. I mean, it's not to say that the children understand everything that goes on in worship, but being there and understanding and seeing what goes on and being able to ask the questions and experience it, I think is an important part of uh, uh, helping children understand worship and helping them come to faith. On page 34, you bring up worship and mood and the connection between them. You even note, quote, I recall one pastor who would not permit music that was written in a minor key, end quote. Uh, talk more about worship and mood and why mood even matters to this discussion. Whether you're in a church that's 100 on Sunday morning or a church that's 1,000 people attending on Sunday morning, not everybody comes to church with the same mood. Some people are coming, they might have just had an argument with their spouse, or maybe the kids just uh, had an accident in the backseat of the car coming to church. And 
or maybe a person just lost their job or they just got a medical diagnosis or perhaps they've just learned that they got a, they got a raise at work and they're happy about that. So moods vary. But the idea of our moods, um, you want to, I mean, we, we need to understand as worship leaders that not everybody's in the same place. But the one consistent element in worship is the fact that God is present. Jesus is present in worship. And when you come into his presence, things happen. Things happen. I mean, God, God's in the change business. And when you come, when you come to worship, he can take whatever mood we are in and he will work with where we are at. Now there'll be some things in worship that will appeal to others, uh, appeal to you that won't appeal to others. And so that's that's just a given. And sometimes we get so set in our ways that we're, we're, we're focused on such a way that we're not even open to thinking about other things that could help us change our mood, if you will. So it's, it's, it's again, it's not the idea that we are, uh, that our mood affects or directs what God does in worship. God is always going to be consistent, and he's always going to deal with us right where we're at. But as worship leaders, as pastors, as musicians, and even as the person in the pew, we need to understand that sometimes what appeals to one person will not have the same effect as somebody else who's in a completely different mood. And that's, I mean, that's, that's part of being in the body of Christ. That's part of who we are as his people. And uh, uh, that's a reality that we all, we all face, but it's, uh, it's also uh, part of uh, understanding that God lets us down when we come to worship, regardless of what our mood might be. And, and just, it's not exactly about the mood as much as also the, ask yourself the question, when you come to worship, do you expect to be changed? Do we come to worship with a spirit of expectancy? You know, do we expect God to show up and do something for us? Do we expect to be different when we leave than when we came? I think those are important questions that we we, we want to be asking ourselves. Because if, we, if it's just something that we, we check off in the box every week, I went to church today and not much happened. Well, it wasn't God that let us down. I'd like to connect a couple of essays from different sections of the book. One essay is about the dangers of what you call mediocrity in worship or the temptation to cut corners. And the other essay is about the quote unquote little things in worship and how those little things really matter. So what are those little things and how might they be related to mediocrity in worship if that's a fair connection? In thinking about that question a little bit, Cliff, I, you know, I went back and I looked at the the article on uh, uh, the essay on page 18 about the, the cultural accommodation of Christian uh, Christian worship and the idea that uh, if you look at if you look at our culture there's mediocrity all over the place and the idea the idea of, of, of attaining the best possible result is not as pre prevalent as it might have been 50 years ago you know today uh, uh, it's it's just enough to get by and um, that in and uh, comparing that to the little things, uh, a lot of times we let the little things slip by and don't even give it any thought. But if you think about um, 
just trying to do 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 the least amount to get by about well my sermon today may not have been as, as good as it could, but it, it was okay yeah we we want to be sure that we keep in mind uh, who this worship is for why do we do this worship and we want to make sure that we we, we demonstrate excellence in in as much of, of what we do as as worship planners and worship leaders that we can you know this is this is a, this is the most important hour of the week when we come together and so the little things you think about the little things now we're on page 57 when i talk about the little things i use the example of uh, in in our in our tradition we always uh, close the worship service with the ironic uh, blessing the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. So the last thing, the last thing we hear as we go out into the world, that fourth element of, of worship that I referred to earlier, the scattering, the last thing we heard is, and give you peace. And I, I use, use the example uh, of the, the woman who came uh, uninvited to the dinner and uh, uh, she was a sinner, you know, that quote unquote, and she wasn't supposed to be there. But what was she coming for? She was coming for forgiveness of her sins, and she was coming to receive the peace of Jesus. And so, what was the what was the last thing that that uh, Jesus said to her in uh, Luke chapter seven, verse forty nine? He said, "Go and sin no more." You know, go in peace, go in peace. And that's the last thing she, so those little things like peace, that little, that little smile that you show to somebody across the aisle when you, you may be exchanging the peace with people in your congregation, the, the kind word, uh, the, the, the feeling of being unrushed in worship. Or, or you know, we gotta have this service finished in 58 minutes because after all, we've got coffee hour at 10 o'clock. Well, you know, why are we there? It's it's the little things that matter, and 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 a lot of times I I um, I, lo I love the phrase uh, plan spontaneity. Um, well, my one of my friends, the late Howie Stevenson, he was the minister of music for Chuck Swindoll for many years at the Evangelical Free Church in California. He always used to talk about plan spontaneity, and it's a lot of times when you have you give attention to those little things that appear to be spontaneous. But in your planning and thinking about planning worship, you were thinking about it all the time and just allowing, allowing for those Holy Spirit moments to take place where the little details can be filled in that we, we may or may not have, have uh, thought were going to occur, but, but we plan for the time. I want to note here for our listeners that Good Faith Media is always accepting book proposals. Our authors engage with our team of editors, designers, and marketers to produce and sell books on a variety of topics. If you want to run a proposal by us, head on over to goodfaithmedia.org bookstore for more information. That's goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Wally, do you have a favorite passage or two from the book that you could read for us and tell us why it's a favorite? I do. Uh, I, I thought you'd never ask, <laughs> uh, but I no, I'm I'm kidding. I, I'm I do have I've got two favorite passages, and one is from uh, uh, the essay on page fifty six, uh, entitled uh, "Transformational Worship," and this this passage this little uh, episode took place in a in a class gathering 
with some of my uh, classmates when I was working on my doctorate in uh, worship studies. And our instructor was uh, Dr. Carla Waterman. She, and she, she was my doctoral advisor. And uh, uh, many, of, many different denominations represented, Baptist, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Methodist, Free Church, uh, uh, Bible Church, Lutheran. And we were talking about what happens at the Lord's Supper, whether it's, you know, whether it's a memorial service or whether it's a real presence or if it's just, a, if it's just something that we do, if it's an ordinance that we observe four times a year. And, and Dr. Waterman said, speaking of the benefits each of us in our varied denominations receive from the Lord's Supper, Dr. Waterman said, there is no doubt that God meets us at the table the question among different traditions is how, and just leaving that question, leaving that question out there for each one of us to to discern, to think about, to pray about, gives you great freedom to know that uh, it's not always about how we understand things. We just need to understand the fact that God is always active, God is always present, and God is always moving. And uh, when I when I mentioned earlier, uh, wherever God is. God is active. God's in the change business. And then my, my second um, uh, uh, reading that I really, really enjoy, and it's probably my favorite in the book, is on page four under the uh, essay entitled, Listening, the Gift of Prayer. And I borrowed it from Dr. Tony Capolo, the, the uh, Christian sociologist, who uh, shared this story of, of, that he had heard that, that during an interview, Mother Teresa was being asked, when you pray to God, what do you say? Mother Teresa replied, I don't say anything. I listen. The interviewer, a bit puzzled, continued by asking, all right, when you pray, what does God say to you? Mother Teresa replied, God doesn't say anything. God listens. Mother Teresa's point was that God is not limited to speaking to us audibly. He often speaks to us in silence, much as he spoke to Elijah in the sound of a gentle blowing. Many times we need to be listening in our stillness to hear God's voice. And so I guess that would be the, uh, the two that come to mind, uh, Cliff. Um, and I think the idea of being available to hear God's voice and be, being quiet long enough to hear him speak to us, uh, there's a lesson for all of us to learn there, I think. Indeed. Our guest today on Good Faith Reads has been Wallace Horton, author of Windows on Worship, 52 devotional readings for those who lead, plan, and engage in worshiping God. It's available at goodfaithmedia.org bookstore. Wally, we really appreciate you joining us today. It's been my pleasure, Cliff. Thank you.